The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at norrisferrychurch.org. Well, as we approach the end of the book of Hebrews, the author is bringing it to a strong conclusion, as is typical in a book. And the, the strong conclusion he, he brought it to uh, last week was this very powerful presence of God, that God is a consuming fire. And uh, we saw that he was drawing on the scene at Mount Sinai where God met with the people of Israel to give them his covenant. And God was a fiery presence. There was smoke and it was loud like the sound of trumpets. And it was just an ominous scene. It was all striking. And, and the people, when they recognized the nature of God, were, were filled with fear and withdrew from God and said, Moses, you go up and meet with God on our place. Be our mediator because we can't be with God. Now, God's desire was for them to come into his presence. God was giving them the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. If they were to keep the regulations of that covenant, they would be restored to God, that God would be one with them like it was in the garden before sin. And they would be his people. He would be their God. They would display the glory of God to all the earth. It would be a beautiful thing. But instead, we see there was a problem, and that problem was their sin, their unholiness. God said, listen, go before I come down, go and and consecrate yourselves. Go through a ceremonial of consecration. And during that time that you're being made holy, don't dare come to the mountain because you can't be in the presence of a holy God. Sin cannot be in the presence of a holy God and not be consumed. And so he's gracious to say, listen, I'm making you holy. Don't come into the presence of the fire without being made holy. And so the warnings of God were there. And, and the writer of Hebrews has, has told us, though we can't see the mountain and we can't see the fire of God, it is nonetheless true. We serve a holy God who is a consuming fire. And all of us have inherited the sinfulness of Adam and all of us are sinful. And unless God makes us holy, we will be consumed by his fire. The good news is Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus gave himself as the sacrificial lamb for the sin of us. Jesus is the great high priest who intercedes with God on our behalf. And so the writer of Hebrews closed out the passage saying, the blood of Jesus is crying out to you saying, let me make you holy. Let me do this for you. We see in the old covenant, we can't do it for ourselves. We can't do anything good enough. We can't keep the law. We can't make ourselves holy. But God, instead of saying, fine, you're all going to be consumed by my holy fire, he says, I want to make you holy by faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he says, now, if you understand what I've done for you in Christ, if you've received the gift of holiness, the gift of righteousness by faith in Christ, then here's what you should do. You should be filled with gratitude. He said, let us in gratitude offer our lives in service to God. He, I, that's worship of God. He says, if you understand what God has done for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will radically transform your life 
you will be a gratitude filled with gratitude and your life will be one of selfless serving others. Radical transformation happens, not because of religion, not because of duty, not because you're trying to make yourself good with God, but out of gratitude for being made holy by the blood of Jesus Christ, you become a sacrificial, selfless servant of others, and that's how you worship God. And so today, he answers the the how question, well, how do I do that? How do I give my life in service to God? And he's going to tell us there's two answers to the how question. The first answer deals with kind of examples. This is what it looks like. This is how you serve God. This is how you worship God with your life. The second is the how kind of the secret to success. How you do this, how do you successfully do this? And so that's what we're going to look at. First of all, the examples of serving God with your life. And he's going to give us three examples. And what we're going to see is these are really just three categories, three areas of life in which we should give him our service. The first, he says, and this is, this is big, this is the climax of the gospel. He says, man, you've been saved by this consuming fire. It should change everything. So here's how you worship him. The, the, the anticipation should be way up here. And he says, here's what you do. Love each other. Really? That's it? That's the big unveiling of how I honor God for this, out of gratitude for the great salvation of grace. It's love the brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what he says in verse 1. Let love of the brothers continue. So we see this is, the Greek language has three different words for love. You've probably heard this before. There's love like the way agape love or God's unconditional self-dying love to us despite what we merit and deserve. That's agape love. There's a, a, a more of a passionate love, a romantic love. And this is phileo. It's brotherly love. It's the affections and the treatment that someone deserves as a sibling, as a friend, as a brother or sister. That's what he says. He says, here's how you worship God. Here's how you honor God with gratitude for the amazing grace that is yours in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You you love one another with brotherly love, not even agape love, brotherly love. That's the great calling of the gospel in our life. So let's understand, what does it mean? What is brotherly love? Paul in Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. So it, it means being devoted to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It means simply kindness being devoted to being kind to them. It means giving preference to their desires over your own desires to honor them. Seems like very mundane things, but he says, this is the great response of the gospel. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Agape love produces the byproduct of brotherly love. When you've experienced the radical love of the gospel love of Jesus Christ, 
the least we do is offer brotherly love to one another. And he's speaking of brothers and sisters in Christ. Certainly we offer it beyond the walls of the church, but the context here is to the body of Christ. Are you devoted to the person next to you? Do you give a flip about what they want and what they need? I mean, that's not deep theological question. It's very practical. Do you care about the people in this room? And that's what he says. If you do, that is worshiping God. Let's start in your household. Brotherly love certainly includes brothers and sisters, siblings. Do you care about the desires of your brother or sister? Do you put their, are you willing to consider their preferences over your own? Children in the room, I'm preaching to you right now. If you have a brother or a sister, God is saying to you in this text, if you love Jesus, it will show up in how you treat your brother or sister. And that's serious. If you love them and you see that you are willing to put their desires, their game over your game, you want to choose which game we're going to play next? Okay, I want this one, you want that one? Okay, I'll let, I'll, let's play yours. That's worshiping God. That brings glory and honor to our Savior. You know why? Because you don't do that without God. Because what we wake up doing is, I want what I want. I want my game. I'm preaching to adults now. (laughs) Honey, I want what I want. I don't want to do the dishes. I want to sit in the recliner. I don't want to go on that trip. I want to go on this kind of trip. Everything in the flesh says, me, my, I want what I want. Forget you. And the gospel says, die to self and put others' preferences above your own. That's radical. It is way up here when we think it's just so, really? That's the big unveiling? He says, let brotherly love continue. Be devoted to one another. Give preference to one another in honor. Then he goes on in the next, in verse 2, it's not something different so much as it's an extension of this same concept in verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. That's the same phileo Greek word of love. It's the brotherly love to someone you don't know. Now, we hear strangers, and we're going, stranger danger, stranger danger. Is he, is he telling us we're supposed to, to go and be foolish and walk into scary-looking people and say, I love you? No, he doesn't say, don't have discernment. He's not saying, throw caution to the wind and go act foolish. He's saying, and he is saying, don't be indifferent to them. But more particularly in this context, he is saying... First of all, do you care about your brothers and sisters in Christ? And now he's saying, do you care about the ones you don't already know? Do you care, do you care about that one? Do you care about this one? Do you care enough to get out of your comfort zone 
and to walk up to them and say, hey, my name is, I don't know your name, and this may be awkward because you may have been a member here for seven years, and that's okay. Are you more concerned about what you feel and what you think and about being embarrassed than you are about getting to know someone and seeing who they are so that you might learn how you can love them as a brother and sister in Christ? Are you willing to receive a new member into this church? Are you willing to sit by them instead of the same people you sit by every members meeting? Are you willing to go and get to know them? Are you willing to say, hey, let's go have coffee. Let's go have lunch. It's easy to say, I have brotherly love for the people I naturally have brotherly love for. He's saying, what about the people you don't already know? We're not talking about stranger danger. It's easy to hide behind that. Let's talk about people in this room. The strangers in this room. Do you have brotherly love for them? The gospel produces the gratitude that says, I'm willing to get beyond myself to get to know others so that I can love them, be devoted to them, care about them, give them preference over my own preferences. So he says, listen, you want to worship God? Let's not talk lofty ideas. Let's get in the dirt. Be kind to one another. Preferences to others. And even the people you don't already know. And then in verse... Well, then he goes and gives you this strange motivation. And you know what? When you're doing that, there might be an angel sitting in this room. I'm not going to explain that away. Really. You might be introducing yourself to an angel. I think he's reading Genesis chapter 18, Genesis chapter 19, as he's been doing. He's been reading his Old Testament. He's been teaching from it. Genesis 18, Abraham sees three men come in the name of the Lord, and he says, what can I do? How can I help you? Are you hungry? Let me feed you. This is brotherly love to a stranger who comes in the name of the Lord. Lo and behold, two of them are angels. One of them is the Lord himself. (laughs) How'd you like to find that out? Glad I did it. (laughs) that was God good job Sarah great meal chapter 19 Lot Abraham's nephew is in Sodom and the angels go down Lot says they're strangers but he treats them with kindness with brotherly love and it turns out they save his life they're angels so there's just a strangeness about it but angels are strange okay I can't make it not strange You going and loving someone in the name of the Lord who comes in the name of the Lord, though you don't know them, but you're willing to feed them, care for them, give them money, do what it takes to care for their needs. It just may be you're caring for an angel. That gets me excited. And I think that's why it's there. He's saying, really, this can happen. So he says, love each other in the body of Christ that you know. Love the ones in the body of Christ in the name of the Lord that you don't know. And then he says in verse 3, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them. Do unto others as you would have done unto you. 
Remember those who are in prison just like you would want done to you if you were in prison. And those who are ill-treated since you yourselves also are in the body. See, he's talking about believers in the body of Christ that when we all, when you put your faith in Christ and he makes you holy, when I put my faith in Christ and it makes, he makes me holy, we're brothers in Christ. We're brother and sister in Christ. And he says, show each other brotherly love. Show each other preference. Give each other honor. Sacrifice for the benefit of each other. Even if I don't know you, if you are in the church or in the church in general, I should have a desire to care for your needs, maybe even entertaining angels. And if a believer is imprisoned for his stance for Christ... Surely I care. Surely I'm willing to sacrifice for them. If a believer is ill-treated or down and out or hits a rough patch, the point he is saying is the gospel makes us care. We can't be indifferent. It's a luxury we cannot have as Christians. The gospel, God giving everything to save your life, Agape love produces brotherly love, willing to care for one another. This is no hypothetical with these people. In 10, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 and 34, he's, he's already been saying, this has been going on in them. He says, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, that means after grasping the gospel, remember after getting the gospel, you endured great conflict of suffering partly being made a spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Apparently, those who turned to Christ were being ill-treated and thrown into prison and having their stuff stolen from them. And in prison, it wasn't three square meals and cable TV. It was you are in a cave and you better have friends come bring you food and water and clothing. And the Christian community stepped up their game and they showed up even though the people said, Oh, so you're one of them? Good. Give me your stuff too and get in jail too. He's saying, do you care because you don't have the privilege of indifference if you've been saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ? So where we thought it wasn't a big deal, all of a sudden it starts to get real personal. And he gets more personal and more personal and more personal in these examples So I ask you, are you indifferent to the people around you? Do you care? Or are you so me, my, my family, my life, my purposes, my community group, that you don't even see the people around you? And let's, let's not go to stranger danger. I'm talking about right here. The gospel says... To the extent you grasp the grace of God, the more you will be set free to love your brothers and sisters in Christ in all walks of life. 
So the first example, serving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, honoring the Lord, bringing glory to God with your life out of gratitude for the ridiculously amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ, love your brothers. Second, honor marriage. Look at verse 4. Told you it gets more personal. Marriage is to be held in honor among all. And the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Here the author says two different things. First of all, he makes a general statement. Marriage should be honored among all. This is this the concept of marriage. This is a God-ordained concept in Genesis that is foundational to his plan for the human race. He said man and woman, one man, one woman should come together in covenant before the eyes of God, covenanting to each other to glorify God, to be worship partners, to help each other, to promote each other, to spur each other on to the glory of God, to lay their lives down as we've been reading. That's the purpose of marriage. As if they, God blesses them with children, as they have children and are fruitful and multiply and teach their kids to do the same, that is the primary missional mandate fill the earth with worshipers you destroy that you don't honor that and you are directly opposed to god almighty who is a consuming fire and he says all of us should honor marriage that means to treat it with great value the same word is only used one other time and it's referring to the blood of christ The precious blood of Christ should be honored and valued. Marriage should be honored and valued. And the way he describes it, it's those who are in marriage and not in marriage. All people, whether you are married or not, should honor the God-ordained design of marriage. Those who are not in marriage honor it by being pure in their sex life. He says they should not be fornicators. Fornication is referring to sex outside of God's design. It is a beautiful gift, but it's designed only in marriage. And then those in marriage, he says, it's to be only in a God-glorifying way, and that is with your particular spouse. Otherwise, it's called an adulterer. And he says fornicators and adulterers will meet God who is a consuming fire. Honor God by honoring your marriage. In our culture, it's not hard. I mean, headlines of the newspapers and television and cable are popping into our heads as I speak. And yes, we should use politics and civil and vote and do all of that. Use your Christian influence as much as God allows you to promote God's design. But if you don't promote it in your house, it's hypocrisy. I don't care how you vote if you're not voting that way in your house. But we should do that. We should do both. We should honor marriage. Extend the brotherly love to your own spouse. 
When it's lofty terms, it's so easy. Love, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Yes. What does that mean? It means lay your life down for her, sacrifice for her. The word cherish her, the way you cherish your own body. When you're hungry, you make sure my fat gut is fed. I changed you to me so that I wouldn't offend. I, when I am hungry, make sure my fat gut gets fed. He says, do you care that much about your wife when she has a need that you make sure she's fed and her needs are met? That's honoring, that's cherishing, that's a lot harder than love like Christ, love the church. That's what he's doing here. He's saying, you want to glorify God. If you want to grasp the gospel and show gratitude with your life, love the person next to you. Love the person in the church you don't know. Love believers when they're down and out. Take care of them. Care about them. You can't be indifferent and honor your marriage. Love your wife and be sexually pure. Be faithful when it's hard and the nitty gritty details of life. That's how you honor God. That's how you glorify God. That's how you love him. That's how you worship him. That's what happens when the gospel gets a hold of our lives. When everything in us is fighting against it. So love the brothers. Honor marriage. Final example, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Told you he gets personal. Be content with what you have. It's not a grand statement. Be content. I think this is the hardest one in our culture. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Here he makes the negative statement, don't love money, followed by the positive statement, be content. To love money, what does it mean to love money? I don't know if I love money. Do I love money if I don't have money? Do I love money if I have a lot of money? How do you know if you love money? Well, that's hard right there. To love money is to have an inordinate concern for money and possessions. It doesn't matter if you're poor or if you're filthy rich, you can love money. It doesn't matter if you're poor or you're filthy rich, you can not love money. It's not about how much you have. It's about an inordinate concern, obsession over regard for money or possessions. Sometimes it's driven by fear. Sometimes it's driven by anxiety. Sometimes it's driven by desire for escape and luxury. Sometimes it's driven by desire for status or power or prestige. But whatever the case may be, if one of those things has driven you to have an ordinate amount of concern over money and possessions, then you need to understand the Word of God says that the gospel transforms us and sets us free from the love of money, i.e., makes us content. Content, whatever, wherever the Lord has you. Not comparing, oh, this person has this much, I have this much. No, it's content to say this is what the Lord has given me. 
I work hard to glorify him, but this is where the Lord has me and has put me in this life. There's a connection between this and the first commands where he says that it's the word phileo again. He says, love your brothers. Hospitality is translation of love strangers. And then finally, he's saying, don't love money. We're not surprised that that connection is there. How can I love my brothers, meet their needs, provide when they're down and out, provide what they need, care about them, if I am obsessed with me and my family and my career and my retirement and my possessions and my goals and my financial plan, just don't get in the way of my financial goals. How are you going to love your neighbor? So he's, he is just stomping on our toes. If the gospel hasn't produced within us different view of money, then we've got to ask some serious questions. So what we see is to the extent... It's a battle. It's a struggle. We need each other, spur each other on, teach the word, help each other. But to the extent that we grasp the grace of God that is ours in Jesus Christ, then we are set free from the self-absorption, the self-selfishness, the self-consumption that we want to wake up with every day and say, no, I want my game. I want my money. I want my dreams. I want my purposes. I want my agenda. I want my retirement. I want my everything. We have to take the gospel, preach it to ourselves, and let it root out that selfishness and give us love for others. So we looked at three examples, how to offer the Lord an acceptable service or worship, brotherly love, honor marriage, be content. But really, these are three massive areas that represent all of life. That's what the author is doing, is he's saying, love, sex, money, that covers it all. Christ and the gospel should change every aspect of your life. That's what he's doing. The way it's written in the Greek is very strange language. It's like a bag of words being dumped out. And the category is just everything. Everything. It should change everything. It changes who you are in all of your circumstances. That's great. That's good, but... but Tell me something, how, how does this work? How do you set me free? How do you, I'm struggling with that. I'm struggling with you. How do you do this? That's the second how, explaining the service of God. How does this play out? Look at the second part of verse 5 down to verse 8. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I forsake you. So that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? And then look what he says. Remember those who led you. 
those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the result of their conduct. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. How? How do we do this? Faith. What? No, no, no. How do you do this? Faith. All right, let's see if we can be a little more practical. Imitate the faith of your leaders. That is how they did it. Look at your leader's conduct, the ones who taught you the word of God, the one who lived the word of God. You see their lifestyle. They did it. How did they do it? They had faith. Imitate their faith. What do you mean imitate their faith? What faith? The faith is here specifically. God is with you. God is always with you. The whole difference between the old covenant and the new covenant is God is with you. He's not in a holy building in this room. He's in you if you are in Christ. And so the power of God, the spirit of God lives within you and gives you everything you need. And wherever you go, he goes. Look at the text again with me and see God everywhere in the commands. Let the love of brethren do not neglect your hospitality. Strangers, oh, one of them might be God. An angel, when you love a stranger, honor God in your marriage, don't be unholy. Why? Because God is there, and he judges those who do that. Make sure your character is free from the love of money. Be content. Why? Because how? He says, I will never desert you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Where you go, I go. I am the ever-present one who gives you help in troubles and in times of need. So let's work through examples. Love, sex, money. Probably 90% of you were out of the room when I made the announcement at the beginning of the service. This is because we are having camp in the city. These packets, we are asking you to pass out to the neighborhoods so that children who do not have parents teaching them about Jesus will hear about Jesus. Do you care? You don't have the luxury of indifference. I know you're busy. But if you hear there are packets on the counter, there's about 12 packets with 25 things, and we need you to go hand this out and get people here so their kids can learn about Jesus. You don't have the luxury to say, I don't care. I don't hand out stuff. You don't have that luxury. The gospel says you do care. Why? Because God is in you and with you and God cares. And if God says to do it, you do it. I'm not saying you have to do everything that we say you might want to do, but if the Lord tells you, go grab a packet, go grab a packet. If you don't care, there's a problem because God cares and he's always with you. The next one, he says, or, or, or think about camp counselors, strangers. This is a great stranger illustration. When all these guys come in to pull off camp in the city, there's going to be a ton of camp counselors needing a place to live for a week. Oh, I got, I got, I got soccer. I got community group. I got, we're booked. Okay. Well, thankfully, we've already, already got that covered, but it's just an example. Do you care? 
Do you care? Do you care that there's counselors coming in to share the gospel with children? And, or are you just like, I'm doing my thing? You got to care because God cares and he's with you. Second thing, sex. So when you find yourself so self-absorbed and unsatisfied that you're going to go against God's will to get satisfaction and you find yourself all alone in that dark, secret place about to do something or look at something that you think, I don't care, I got to do this, guess what? You're not alone. God is there. And if you're in Christ, whatever you do, you're making Christ do, the scripture says. What you look at, you're forcing Jesus to look at. What you do with your body, you're forcing Jesus to do with his body. It makes a difference to believe, to be convinced of the unseen realities that are revealed in the scriptures. Where you are as a believer, God is there. And another thing. It also means you can say no. The power of God is in you, and you can get up, walk away, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. God is there. You take the biblical promises by faith, and you apply them, and you worship and glorify God with your life. Finally, money. When you're prompted by the Lord to spend money on someone other than yourself, to spend money helping someone in need, to spend money helping missionaries, to give money to the orphanage in India, to give money to help friends trying to adopt, to give money to support missionaries, to give money to support the missions and ministries of the church, and you say no, that's not how the gospel responds. If you say, I'm just tired of pastors preaching about money, well, get over it because the Bible talks about it. And when the Bible talks about it, I talk about it. To the extent that we are content and we grasp the gospel of all that we have in Christ, we are set free from being slavishly in love with money and possessions and all the things of this world. And we're set free to give it away, to bless others, to support works of the, to the glory of God. That's why it's even in existence. So it's hard. Everything in us wants to say me and mine. I get it. I get it. So every day... How do we worship God? It's not by looking pretty, putting on a happy face, and singing a happy song. That doesn't hurt. But it's by laying your life down for others. And that is done by constantly remembering the promises of God. God is with you. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He loves you. He gave you Jesus. He's given you everything that you need. You can do this. Go and love others with whatever God has given you to the glory of God. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for 
your scriptures that would remind us of truth that our flesh wants to resist every moment of every day. We thank you for the fact that in Jesus Christ we're made holy and we are filled with the very presence of God. We thank you that wherever we go, you go. You never leave us or forsake us. Nothing can separate us from your love. You are our present help in times of need. You empower us to do what you call us to do. You give us love and concern for things that are beyond ourselves. You give us compassion and mercy and grace so that we can pour compassion and mercy and grace out to others. You set us free that we are able to say no to sin and yes to holiness and godliness. Lord, I thank you for this truth of these scriptures. By faith, believing what the scripture reveals, our lives can be so significant that we can offer acceptable worship to God by blessing others. I pray that you'll make this a reality in increasing measure in our lives and in this church that we be a beacon of love and grace and mercy and glory to your name. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Norris Ferry Community Church located in Shreveport, Louisiana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Norris Ferry Community Church, please visit us online at norrisferrychurch.org.